From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrin. Well, thanks for inviting me into your home. Long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' well-appointed rec room with the simulated wood paneling, electric fireplace, and the painting of dogs playing poker, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. Hiya to those of you tuning us in on one of our affiliate stations across North America. And hey you, streaming us live on the YouTube channel Strange Planet. How do to those of you in the uh, YouTube live chat. However and wherever you're listening, I bid thee the warmest of welcomes and I thank you for your fine company. Thomas Horn, author of The Wormwood Prophecy, stays with us this hour. So, Neowise, have they talked publicly about... Apophis, or is this information from your uh, your insiders at NASA? Yeah, they did. I mean, if you go back to 2004, they and the Kitt Peak National Observatory astronomers and others begin studying. By the way, NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory at the California Institute of Technology. So all these different agencies were looking at this brand new asteroid that was discovered, and naming it Apophis, by the way, is interesting on a lot of levels that we probably won't even get time to talk about well, tonight. You're right, because if it was so innocuous, they would give it a rather banal name, because a lot of them are just numbers. They just number them. But here they name it after the Egyptian god of chaos, for crying out loud. Yeah, the god of chaos, the god of destruction, but this is also connected to some very important dates. If you get into Christian eschatology, especially dispensationalism, and what some people believe, i got my, my buddy, by the way, Steve Quayle, and they do not believe in what dispensationalists would call a pre-tribulation rapture. I've got other friends like Gary Stearman who do. And so when I started looking at the Friday the 13th date for Apophis striking the earth, What shocked me was that if it is, in fact, biblical wormwood, most Bible expositors believe that the trumpet judgments happen in the middle of what they would call the Great Tribulation, the seven-year period, right? Right. So I took the date and backed it up, and exactly to the day, 3.5 3.5 years. So, the, you know, if it's the middle of the tribulation when Apophis strikes, back up 3.5 years, it strikes the most important Jewish feast days that are connected to what these biblical expositors believe are connected to the rapture of the church, the beginning of the great tribulation. It's just fascinating. But staying with from the scientific side of it, you mentioned Neowise and, you know, what are they saying and what are they doing? I don't want people to think that Mirvold is the only scientist in this book that backs up what I'm saying. There's a whole list of people. For example, mathematician Harry Lear is another well-known scientist. He believes that Apophis is definitely going to strike the Earth in 2029, and he's even written a letter to Donald Trump begging him to have astronomers that work at NASA and inside the government recalculate their mathematics around Apophis, and he sent all of his reasoning to Donald Trump around why April the 13th, 2029, is the date on which this monster rock is going to impact the Earth. Again, 
NASA recently had like Robert Frost, who's one of their leading astronomers, and you might have saw him. He's like in some of the British uh, newspapers and tabloids and stuff, and being interviewed by them. And he too talking about this, saying that there's a hundred percent chance, one hundred percent chance, that this Earth fracturing rock is going to strike the Earth, and saying that the only thing that public is going to be able to do is hunker down and pass out Bibles and learn how to pray. I wanted to ask you, because you mentioned uh, Trump, and, and we had this announcement about the Space Defense Force, this sixth branch of the U.S. military. And, and, you know, there are several reasons. One can imagine you would want to start a Space Defense Force. You have space-based weapons, killer satellites, and so forth. You have, some might suggest, a possible alien invasion. But it sounds like you're suggesting the timing of this Space Defense Force has nothing to do with any of those reasons. It has everything to do with Apophis. I actually think it may have something to do with both. You know, don't forget that the idea of the Space Force isn't new. This goes all the way back to Ronald Reagan. And especially now that technology has changed, the idea of digital warfare. Colonel McGinnis, once again, who's been on your program evidently, could elaborate on the need for a Space Defense Force. But it was Trump that brought the concept to the forefront of the public mind, the general public. And now uh, I saw a news report on it this week, that literally the billions of dollars that are being set aside to be spent over the next five years to set up the Space Force. The U.S. Space Command is the fifth branch of the U.S. military. But in addition to digital warfare, they are also considering the idea of an asteroid threat, and that according to their own press releases, their own information. So I'm not stretching here trying to make a connection. Right. So current technology does not allow to avert such an impact. We couldn't use nuclear missiles. We couldn't no. use... No. Absolutely not. Here, so, here's, so here's the interesting part about this. I know some of the people around Donald Trump that are part of his faith community. I've done programs with them. Um, and, uh, and I know that they are in his ear. Uh, and these are prophecy believers and they are whispering to him about wormwood um, and that's not a stretch anybody that knows anything about the people around donald trump that are part of that faith community know that these are people that are believers in end times prophecy um, and uh, so that is a piece of this now i'm not suggesting that it's every part of why the Space Force has been launched. But I'm saying that it is a part of it because asteroid mitigation is a part of what the of what NASA, Neowise, and everybody else are publicly admitting. Now, you know, I mentioned a moment ago that some of their own astronomers are, you know, they're doing media right now. And, and one of the, NASA's astronomers, you know, uh, was in the British tabloids recently, um, and he, and he admitted, he said, there is no way that we could stop this asteroid. The size of it, the scope of it, how fast it's traveling, there is no way that we can target this. We're not going to send Bruce Willis uh, and his you know, team of, of astronauts up into space with nukes and nuke uh, Apophis because it's too large. Um, and so, first of all, you'd probably miss it because it's moving too quickly. But secondly, even if you hit it, um, its its gravitational field is so strong because of the size and scope of it 
that if you blew little bits and pieces of it off, it's just going to draw those parts back together. And now what you've done is probably fulfilled uh, Revelation chapter 8 in that you have radiated this giant rock, so it impacts the earth, it blasts all this radiation now up into the upper atmosphere that moves around because of the air currents in the upper atmosphere and rains down on the earth radiation. That's what NASA's own astronomer was talking about. Uh, and, and perhaps, and I go into different ways in the book in which, uh, wormwood could poison a third of the waters, but radiation is one of them based on our own efforts to try to blow this thing up. Right. Um, are there, surely there are a whole host of very bright, uh, amateur astronomers out there, or or even professional astronomers who also know this. Um, it seems to me several years ago uh, there was a um, an astronomer in Australia who who suddenly who died under rather mysterious circumstances. There may even be a death list. You know, there seems to be a death list for everybody. Uh, you know, um, naturopaths and JFK assassination witnesses and Clinton uh, associates. I'm sure, is there a death list for astronomers, too, who might know the truth? Well, it seems like there could be, but here's the thing. Um, within, and, and I just now remembered what Sharon Gilbert had said, and she's right. Uh, within, oh, you know, four years, let's say, five years from right now, they won't be able to cover this up anymore. And that is because every home astronomer who can afford a, you know, somewhat commercial um, telescope is going to be able to look up into deep space and see Apophis headed towards Earth. And then, within six years from right now, you'll be able to see it with the naked eye at nighttime as a very bright spot headed towards Earth. Um, And then, by 2028... The Earth is going to be in a panic. And so all I can tell you is if, 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 if people don't want to believe what I'm saying, obviously that's everybody's option. But so far, what I've seen has not been incorrect. In fact, I often wondered, you know, why did God allow me to see the exact date on which Benedict XVI um, was going to resign, and it was accurate. Why did why did that? I don't. What's that got to do with anything? I mean, is that a piece of a puzzle? It, it confuses me. But it wasn't until the other day that uh, George Norrie on Coast to Coast AM said something that resonated with me. He said he allowed you to see that because the whole world saw that. Everybody on Earth knows that you did that prediction and you were right and he did that to allow this wormwood to be legitimized in their mind that if he was correct on something so abstract as the resignation of pope benedict something that had not happened in 500 plus years and got it to the month and year um then maybe we ought to stop and, and listen to what he's saying about apophis Tell me about the simulation that scientists and strategists ran in Maryland back in May of this year. Hang on. Remind me what we're talking about now. Uh, 2019, they ran sort of a simulation which assumed a major asteroid impact in, was it College Park, Maryland? 
Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, so you had all these um, strategists from all over the globe that took part. It was college part. You're right. Um, the purpose of it was to just basically try to create a scenario in which we discover that an asteroid is racing towards the Earth, and now what are we going to do about it? So you get all these you know, skilled individuals that start talking hypothetically about what they're going to do, and they know that this asteroid is going to impact the Earth in a 10-year period. Uh, and so it was a whole five-day simulation, uh, and it included uh, all of the scenarios, you know, day one, day two, day three, day four, uh, day one, we discover the asteroid. Day two, it's, you know, we know that it's coming. There's no way we're going to stop it. So on and so forth. Day four, we tried, we failed. It's headed to the East Coast. Day five, we did all we could and it wasn't enough. Uh, and throughout that five day exercise, the participants were faced with all of these foreseeable angles of the asteroid collision scenario. And at the end of the day, nothing we could do about it, and it wiped out a large part of planet Earth. And now, but again, what I would, the, the question I would raise is why was that game played out? And I think it's soft disclosure. And I think you're going to see more and more leading up to about four to five years from right now. And finally, you know, home astronomers are going to be able to do their own calculations, and more and more questions are going to rise, and they won't be able to hide it forever. And that's the scenario in the beginning of my book and at the end of the book where I do the fictional narrative uh, based on what I think is actually happening behind the scenes right now. Billy Meyer, a famous UFO contactee, um, he claimed, I think, 1981 that he had been told by his alien contact, a, a council of ETs or whatever you want to call them, he was told about an asteroid hitting the Earth in 2029. Uh, now, Billy Meyer and his alien contacts, that doesn't exactly line up with sort of, you know, uh, a biblically approved list of sources, but what, what, do, you, what do you think Billy Meyer is on to? Um, well, so, uh, yeah, I will say a couple of things. Um, it, it was in the early 80s. Billy uh, Meyer did talk about a prediction. He said it was given to him by an alien by the name of Quetzal, which I can only assume is named after Quetzalcoatl, the uh, serpent god of Aztec and Mayan fame. Uh, but he did. Uh, many years ago, he talked about a red meteor that he said was going to collide with the Earth in 2029. So same year. Uh, and he said it was going to, you know, make contact somewhere along the tectonic plate of the north, uh, from the North Sea to the Black Sea. Um, so I've got Christian friends um, that would cast aspersions on his claims because he was coming from a different worldview. So he's right. talking about extraterrestrials and ETs and all that kind of thing. And other people that have said that some of his claims were uh, retrodictions, meaning that he made them up after the fact, or that some of them are being made up today by other people that are taking his predictions and they're saying that he said this, he said that um, <clears throat> after the fact. But the point is, um, he did seem 25 years 
before the discovery of Apophis to be talking about what he called a red meteor that would strike the Earth in 2029. And some of his predictions are pretty eerie, actually. Uh, now, if there are people that are listening to this program and they're Christians like I am, and maybe they would say, well, what in the world? Why would you give any credence to an individual like Billy Mayer, a Meyer, whatever you say his name? Um, <clears throat> I would just remind people that we do know uh, even from the Bible, that there are uh, non-Christians that sometimes accurately predict the future. Uh, for example, Nebuchadnezzar illustrates how in times past God sometimes actually used non-believers, non-covenant, non-Hebrew, whatever you want to call them, to utter these divine insights. There's an amazing case in point uh, in which uh, God chose to reveal uh, a prophecy spanning from 605 B.C. through the second coming of Christ to this arrogant, narcissistic, idol-worshiping Nebuchadnezzar. Mm -hmm. um, now, it required God's prophet Daniel to interpret the dream, but, um, but he still gave it to this individual that you know, it's probably not going to be uh, ordained, <laughs> you know, by the assemblies of right. God. Right. So if, Neb um, if, if, uh, if, he d if he gave information to Nebuchadnezzar, why not Billy Meyer? Listen, we have to take another time out, Thomas. We'll be back. Uh, boy, this is dire. This is grim. The Wormwood Prophecy right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. is being pulled over your eyes. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrant. Thomas Horn is here with some very grim news. It's all detailed in the Wormwood Prophecy. NASA, Donald Trump, and a cosmic cover-up of end-time proportions. If this really is end times, we're talking about Friday, April the 13th, 2029, and there's nothing we can do about it, why tell us? Well, for the same reason that the Bible might... Um and that is to warn people of what is coming in the future and to cause them to evaluate who they are, where they are, what their relationship with God is, what their relationship with the Creator is. Um, and again, you know, you know, Jesus said to the Pharisees of his day, he said, which of the prophets have not your fathers murdered, <laughs> right? Um, people don't, they don't want to hear this stuff, and frankly, I don't actually want to talk about it. Uh, I'm, I'm actually a reluctant individual here. Um, when I woke up out of this dream, I was terrified to the bone. And the last thing on earth I wanted to do is what I'm doing right now, where I am saying to people, this is coming. And there is nothing that NASA can do to stop it. And they know there is nothing they can do to stop it. And right now, you know, people can just listen to me uh, talk about it, and they can say, well, you know, who knows, maybe, maybe not, whatever. But in five to six years from now, things are going to change. And in six to seven years from now, the world is going to be on its face. 
crying out to their different gods, begging those gods to deliver them from what is coming. Now, as a uh, as a as a, a positive individual, I would want to believe that um, if enough people were crying out to God, it could be averted. And we've seen that in Scripture too. There are examples in Scripture. Uh, you know, uh, Jonah. Um, the 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 judgment against Nineveh was absolutely certain. But he said, if you pray, if you repent, sackcloth and ashes, the whole thing, then perhaps this will be averted. And it was. Um, you know, you know, the king has a guy's life being extended. There's examples in the Bible uh, that if people do the right thing and they cry out to God, that perhaps these judgments can be averted. What as a as a prophecy believer, Revelation eight is going to happen. But is it going to happen in twenty twenty nine? Might it happen sometime uh, after that? Um, and so, I, again, I I just feel like that I am what I'm the I'm the agent. Uh, I'm the person that was given the responsibility to talk about it. And right now I'm willing to bear, um, you know, the repercussions of people mocking me. Um, and uh, But again, if you read the book, The Wormwood Prophecy, it's not just Tom Horn. It's not just a charismatic guy with a vision. Um, this is also being discussed by some of the greatest minds on Earth today who also are alleging that NASA and other space agencies are involved in a cover-up uh, revolving around Apophis and the threat that it does pose. But, you know, here's a funny thing. NASA says that even if it misses Earth in 2029, their own website says it's going to come so close that it's going to knock out the satellites that are in orbit around our planet. So that is so stupid close that there is no way that you can actually say that it's not going to impact. Right, it would cause. You're already a, admitting that it's going to come that close. Even, yeah, even if it was a near miss, it would cause just the the gravitational force. It would cause tremendous seismic activity. Maybe an EMP event. I don't know about that, but it would you know it would be lights out uh, all over the world, and uh, you know either way you cut it. Let, let, let's grab a call here. Doug is in Indiana tonight this morning doug welcome to the conspiracy show you're on the line with thomas horn go ahead yeah tom uh, i think you're getting yourself all worked up to an ulcer and uh, you got to consider that uh, this planet has some really smart intelligent people in the aerospace industry in another decade what we'll be able to do with diverting this potential threat to mankind will be acting as using thermonuclear weapons either to destroy mankind or to be mankind's best friend by diverting. All it will take will be just a fraction of a degree at the earliest possible moment. We can vary that course of that asteroid, and it'd be no sweat. We wouldn't even have to sit there and worry about it. Don't you, know you agree? Um Doug, I hope you're right. I really honestly do. And I actually go into a lot of this stuff in the book. 
uh, about you know mitigation efforts. Uh, I'm, by the way, I think that there are some technologies right now um, that are not they're either not being talked about uh, or they're not perfected to the point that they can be talked about, but using lasers and other kinds of technologies to push uh, things uh, away from the earth. Uh, but as a but as a Christian and a Bible believer, I know that Revelation 8 is going to happen at some point. Uh, a large rock, an asteroid, as it says in the Greek, uh, is going to impact the earth. So that's that's where I'm coming from. That's my worldview. Um, I hope that it does not happen in 2029. I just believe that it's going to. Doug, thank you for the call. Thank you. Uh, if this is going to happen, and, and obviously uh, there are certain individuals in positions of power that know, that would be in the know, one would expect that they would be making efforts sort of in the interest of continuity of governance. Uh, you know, so we would we would see, well, <laughs> we'd see a lot of tunneling, we would see uh, government agencies being moved out of Washington, D.C., being relocated, uh, these sorts of things. Are you getting any whiff of that going on? Yeah, I talk about it in the first chapter of the book. And, and don't forget that, uh, you know, uh, Project Noah's Ark, there have been uh, government-funded projects uh, over the last 20 years in which um, there are very large underground facilities where there's 20 years of food and stuff like that that's been set aside for the elite. Um, and, uh, and again, you know, the, the, um, uh, the narrative that I propose in the opening of the book that's a little bit similar to the movie Deep Impact, um, where they're going to call whatever, they're going to select individuals based on what they could contribute to the betterment and sustainability of humankind uh, to be taken into these underground facilities to be protected. So the, the plans have been in place for a while during the Jimmy Carter's era. Um, I, would, I would suggest people go and, uh, and Google Jimmy Carter's area, the Project Noah's Ark. This is exactly what this was being designed for. So that's been in place uh, for some time. Hmm. Uh, and would 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 Trump be talking about this in in conversations with other world leaders? Would this conversation come up at a at a G seven at a G eight, or uh, are they not in the know necessarily? Uh, well, let's just say that many of the people in the G seven the G8, um, and for that matter, um, you know, the, 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 the individuals that gather, uh, uh, what is it called, the, um, the forest, you know, there in, in the Redwoods. Oh, uh, yeah, um, exactly. What, what is that? Yeah, I'm drawing a blank, but it don't matter. But, yeah, so uh, people around the world... You know, leaders of countries—they're all involved right now in this conversation, um, and uh, so. All right, let me let me grab a, another call here. Roger is in San Antonio. Roger, welcome to the Conspiracy Show. Good morning. 
Hey, hey, Richard. Uh, hey, this is Roger from uh, Texas. Welcome uh, aboard. I'm here in the in the chat. A shout out to all my chat buddies. Uh, I just had a quick comment, um, Richard. I uh, um, uh, a couple weeks ago I was going to talk to you, but but I didn't get a chance. Um, you know, I was at the JFK conference uh, in Dallas, and I met. I didn't realize that you had actually interviewed John Barber. I met John. This was back in 2016, and a bunch of other folks, and and they all they all know what's going on. I mean, because you know this this whole thing about deep state and all of that. But um, uh, so I was talking to them, and and they all they all uh, on. I mean, they're not open about it, but they all appreciate what Trump is doing, and and all of us in the, in the U.S. I just discovered your show. I saw you actually way back introducing Jim Mars, but um, I just wanted to say keep doing the great work that you're doing and, and God bless you, brother. All right, Roger. Thank you for that. Uh, I'm not sure if Roger is listening to this broadcast or whether he's hearing it in delay on one of our affiliates, but uh, right now, of course, we are talking about Apophis and uh, Wormwood, the Wormwood Prophecy. Um, it has been suggested by uh, people like Richard Dolan. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Richard Dolan. He's a noted ufologist, UFO disclosure advocate, but he's a pretty good researcher and a pretty good historian, and he talks about the elites, he talks about a breakaway civilization, that they possess certain technology um, that is, it almost, well, it, because they are so far ahead of where we are in terms of the technology they possess, they they could be classified as a separate civilization, and he believes that's, that they may, in fact, already sort of be off-world, they may have that technology. They may have deep space platforms. Um, anyway, we're running up against a break here. I want to I want to come back to that point and ask you. Uh, there's a reason I bring that up. But we'll uh, we'll come back. More of my conversation with Thomas Horn, the Wormwood Prophecy. More phone calls await as well. Four one six three six zero zero seven forty in the GTA. Four one six three six zero zero seven forty. Toll free from just about anywhere. One eight six six seven forty four seven forty. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. We're back with Thomas Horn, longtime TV radio personality, best-selling author, publisher, CEO of Skywatch TV, skywatchtv.com. And uh, if you order the Wormwood Prophecy from the uh, the store there at skywatchtv.com, uh, well, there there's just a uh, a ton of bonus material. Uh, that will be made uh, made available to you for free. Uh, I think I have that right, correct, Thomas? Yeah, we're doing this for the uh, month of December, and it's it's actually nine hundred dollars. It's just like seventy books, um, survival gear, just, just a huge amount of product, uh, audio files. So all of that is being made available uh, at no cost for people that buy the Wormwood Prophecy through skywatchtv.com right now. All right. I was mentioning the, this theory that there's this breakaway civilization. These are the elites uh, that have um, unimaginable technology at their disposal. Some people might believe that it's back-engineered from UFO crashes. Other, Who knows uh, where it comes from? But if they have it, we don't. 
And um, I mean, that kind of makes sense, you know, if they're off planet, why politicians or why the elites really just don't seem to give a damn of what, what's going on here on the planet. If they are, if they are anticipating, if they know about Wormwood, uh, and they're already off planet or they have their deep underground, uh, uh, bunker, they, they really could give a rat's behind about what happens to the rest of us. Does that, that makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think for some people, that's probably true. And don't forget that it was in the 60s. Um, you know, you had this whole decade of deliberation, negotiations regarding issues like military disarmament. <clears throat> but they were talking about the Outer Space Treaty. Remember that? Yes. The treaty on principles governing the activities of the states, the exploration of outer space. And, and, and if you go and read those papers, <clears throat> They're, they're actually kind of tantalizing in that they seem to allude to um, knowledge, expertise, technology that are beyond anything that we would understand today. Colonel McGinnis, you know, talking about future war uh, at the Pentagon, this stuff's way beyond that, uh, way beyond weapons of mass destruction. But all of that language was included in the 1960s outer space treaties um, and so I just encourage people to go read that now why am I mentioning that because um, I mentioned that I have a friend when I was writing the Wormwood Prophecy I reached out to him um, he is a senior flight analyst uh, with above top secret security clearance at NASA and again I can prove this um, and um he gave me information that echoed kind of what you're talking about right now, that some of the people um, at NASA, Neowise, some of the people that are in this community of astronomers who know what's going to happen in 2029 and the plans that they're making around it and what they're doing for their families and all that. Um, and, and originally, I had his name in the book. In the Wormwood Prophecy and Charisma Publishing, I gave them this book, even though I own my own publishing house. I did an experiment with them, a one-time thing, and I gave them the book. Uh, and the people from Charisma would verify that I had him in the book. I had information from him in the book. But then something happened. We were in our um, um, 2019 conference in Branson. Um, and he showed up. Derek met him. Sharon met him. But he said, i got to talk to you. And we went into a back room. And in that back room, he starts telling me, hey, you have to take my name and the information that I gave you, you have to take it out of the book immediately. It can't be published. And it turned out that he had been drawn before an adjudicator, uh, the uppity-ups um, at NASA, Um and uh, he had been threatened, and at a minimum, with losing his, you know, his contract with the government, his job, his retirement, all that. But I had a feeling it was something more than that. And he said, "You have got to get my name out of there, man. I'm going to be in. I'm got major issues, big trouble." So I got a hold of Charisma, and I said, "We have to take X Y Z's name." 
out of the book and what he told me out of the book. Uh, and so we did that. Now, but it was part of the other stuff that he told me that day um, that had to do with probably something kind of like what you're talking about, Richard. Um, Breakaway civilizations? It wasn't just compartmentalization. It was also that the asteroid is being viewed as a messenger. Um, you know, in the ancient world, all these cultures, asteroids, these things inspired wonder, dread. They were saw as harbingers of doom, omens of disaster, uh, messengers of the gods themselves. Um, this goes to the Roman prophecies, the Sibylline oracles, the Epic of Gilgamesh, all of these that talked about these uh, asteroids as carrying pertinent information uh, to the Earth. And frankly, I was kind of blown away with what he was telling me. And I'm being really careful here because I have to be careful that he can't be connected through this conversation. But. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in here. We're going to take another one final time out. And uh, you just get all your ducks in a row, and I know you want to be careful. So during the break, you can have a few moments just to sort of collect yeah, yourself, and we'll come back and uh, you'll lay yet another bombshell on us, I guess, as if we needed one. <laughs> uh, Thomas Horn stays with us. The Wormwood Prophecy, right here on The Conspiracy Show. It is time to redefine reality. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Apophis, a space rock, approximately four football lengths, football fields rather, in length, expected to collide with our planet Friday, April the 13th, 2029, and there's nothing we can do about it. Uh, short of falling down on our knees and praying for divine intervention, which is possible. Um, anyway, you had this NASA insider who you were originally going to publish his name and some of his information in the book, and then he asked you to remove his name. Uh, you were about to tell us about what he had to say vis-a-vis uh, Apophis being some sort of a messenger. Yeah, so I've known him for a long time, and by the way, um, I've pub- I. No, I won't say that. I've published his name elsewhere. Let me just leave it at that. I won't say where. Um, Derek and Sharon Gilbert met him at our conference. Um, I've known him for years. He's a guy that's known by the known. So if you if you look at my publishing house, the people that I publish, including people that are deeply part of the U.S. Pentagon and places like that, um, He's a guy that is known by them, and um, and he has high-level security clearance and has to have because when you're a senior flight analyst for NASA, <laughs> you know you got to make sure that you're you're working with projects that terrorists or other crazy people wouldn't be able to you know uh, create problems for those projects. But anyway. He came to me, came at the conference, um, and uh, and he said, you have to get my name out of the book. Now, 
we went in the back room, and um, he's telling me all about this adjudicator, and he's been drawn in in front of these people, and I've got to get his name out of the book. But then he gets into this. It's a very curious conversation, and it has to do with Apophis as a messenger. Now, here's why, here's why this really struck me. Because a few years ago, I had reached out to him, him and one of his friends. Um, and uh, it was during, if you remember, um, Richard, the European Space Agency's Rosetta mission. Yes. And they landed the probe delay on what was believed to be um, a comet, yes. Comet 67P. And there was this strange sound that was coming off the comet. Remember that? Yes, yes. Um, and uh, and people were making attempts at these explanations for the phenomenon, vibrations being set off by a stream of charged particles ejected from the surface of the space rock, all that kind of stuff. But I, I had wondered at the time, okay, I, I'm, I'm willing to accept that that's all there is to this, but because I have a friend... Um, two actually, but mostly him, deeply entrenched at the highest levels of our space agencies, I reached out. Uh, and I said, this thing, they're calling it the song, the song. You can actually still go to Google now and, and you know, type in the Rosetta song, and you can get the, the sound file for that. Um, and uh, And I wanted to know, is this just, you know, what, sound vibrations as this thing moves through space? It's all just natural? Or is there any possibility there's something else more to this? And I recall at the time, I actually reached out to my old friend Chuck Misler. Uh, and uh, Dr. Yes. Misler now has been dead for a couple of years. But he was a really good friend of mine, very close. I mean, he came and spent time at my home. Uh, and, you know, we hang out. Um, I And I said, Chuck, do you know anybody in a research or intelligence agency that might have access to what a supercomputer or some other system that could slow down these sound waves on the Rosetta Comet and check for me if there's any repeatable patterns? I just want to make sure. It's a long shot, um, but I'm just wondering if there might be some type of, you know, what replicating synthetic non-organic right code intelligence. If you will. Yeah. In the sound, uh, and so Chuck, he knew a man uh, that had been vo involved very early on in developing audio technology. He said he was a bona fide genius, and right now, frankly, as I'm on this show, I can't even remember his name, um, but he sent me his contact info. I sent him the audio recording, and I would not tell him where it came from, but I just sent it to him from the Rosetta, and I asked him if he could check it to you know, are there any repeating patterns, whatever, in it, mathematical something, what? Um, and um, I didn't hear from him for the longest time. Then finally he contacted me and he said, um, has anybody else that's listened to this pattern become sick, physically sick, from listening to the audio recording? And I emailed him back and I said, no, because you're the only one I've sent it to. Uh, anyway, he died before he could even do the analysis oh, for me. So when I didn't hear anything more, I reached out to this friend at NASA. 
um, and his second scientist friend, and I asked him if they could take a look at it, and they did. They took a stab at it using Fourier-based deconvolution for resolving what they call the ciliographic signals. We got about three minutes here, Tom. So I just well, I'm okay. So we're going to run out of time. But they sent me a very long report. It was a strange finding uh, in which they said that the signal indicated there was something more than noise in a pure random process. There was this magnetic field interaction, um, and it was it was very very intriguing to me. And so since we're going to run out of time. Um, we'll have to talk about this on a different program, but they found that there were um, non-organic um, markers in that in that sound that, to them, could be only interpreted as a message that was being carried. And so the European Space Agency, NASA, they were all uh, interested in this. So jump forward to now. He meets with me uh, in Branson this year. You have got to take my name out of this thing right now. I've been drawn before an adjudicator. I'm being threatened, and I had a feeling it was more than just his job in retirement, and it had something to do with Apophis as a messenger uh-huh. that is headed towards Earth. Well, we're going to have to have you back on again, Thomas, and we can delve further into this. Um I guess, well, we've got about a minute here. <laughs> what to do? I just, does this fit into, it doesn't fit into my sort of basic understanding of how the un- end times are supposed to unfold. I mean, is there time between now and 29 for a tribulation, the rise of the Antichrist, a false peace in the Middle East, uh, you know, the battle of Gog and Magog? I mean, how is this all going to un- un- unravel before this cataclysm? Yeah, so if you're a pre-tribulation rapture believer, uh, and I know that many of you are not, you probably are not, but if you're a pre-tribulation rapture believer, then you would back up three and a half years from Friday the 13th, 2029. Uh, you wind up at October 13th, 2025, and guess what? That's the exact day of the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles, which was the time when the Jews celebrated being delivered from the gods of Egypt, including the uh, god of chaos, Apophis. Mm. Um, And uh, two weeks earlier than that is Rosh Hashanah, the Feast of Trumpets, when the shofar is blown 100 times, and most dispensationalists think that the rapture is going to occur during that day. Why? Because Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says, I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep, we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet, he said the same thing to the Thessalonians. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a a shout, with the voice of the archangel, at the sound of the trumpet of God. So um, we don't have time to go into that tonight. We're out of time. But there are some very, very, very odd... Now, if you're not a pre-tribulation believer, it's also interesting because April 2029 is Passover. Ah, And Passover, too, was Egypt being delivered during the night when all of the firstborn are being destroyed, and God says, if you put the blood of the uh, lamb on the doorpost of your home, I will pass over you. So there's both both three and a half years before, middle, and three and a half years later, all three of these fall on very, very important Jewish feast days 
that are connected by Christians to the Christology of the New Testament. All right, we're going to have to leave it there. Fascinating. I hope you can come back and we'll uh, we'll talk further. Thank you so much for this, Thomas. And it's uh, skywatchtv.com. You can order yeah, the book right there. skywatchtv.com, biggest giveaway in the history of humanity <laughs> <laughs> right now. Uh, thanks, Richard, for having me on your program. Thank you. My thanks to Owen and Ryan back next week, hopefully with... Ronald Reagan's Ronald Reagan's secret agent, Ambassador Lee Wanta. Until then, so long for now. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. <laughs>